Hey guys, it's Abdul for the good folks over at Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. Might I remind you folks, uh, although Leon Tailoring is great for the tailor and ready-made clothes, they also have a good career services division for your young person, because before you know it, they'll be out heading off for interviews, for jobs, or for internships this summer, and you want to make sure your young person looks their best. You guys have invested a lot of time and energy and money in that college education, now it's time for it to start paying off, and Leon Tailoring can help you do it. They'll make sure your young person is dressed right for the right job so they can make that right first impression. You know, I'm important that is. So swing on by Leon Tailoring, check out their career services division. Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. So ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to present to you Attorney Shabazz. Well, I don't usually have those kind of applause until I leave the room, so thank you all very much. I uh, know it's uh, my pleasure to be here. Uh, my mother, Mrs. Trotter, uh, called me up and said, do we like to moderate uh, this panel discussion? for you anything you can't say no to it. But it's my pleasure to be here uh, facilitating uh, some of this discussion today. Uh, our panel, ladies and gentlemen, as we talk about Unigo, intended and unintended consequences are as follows. So please, panelists, raise your hand out of any particular order. Oh, former Lieutenant Governor John Butts, City Council President Bob Osley, former State Bar Representative Dave Lamkin, former State Senator and IPS Teacher Billy Brogue, and Faye Williams, Attorney and Civil Rights Activist. So please give a round of applause to our panel. We're going to give our panel about uh, two, three minutes uh, to make an opening statement uh, based on this question. And John, we'll start with you. Uh, just what are your thoughts on you to go as a whole? Here. Am I live? There you are. All right. Now, what, what did you say? Uh, just your thoughts on you to go as a whole. You want me to do what now? Your, what, are, what were your thoughts on you to go? Oh, well, right now, I'll start by saying this that. Uh, uh, the Unigov bill was passed, uh, essentially, drafted, passed, and uh, created by 13 individuals. Uh, they were all men. Uh, two of them were attorneys that came on board later to do the drafting. In the original cast of characters, uh, we found, first of all, the president of the city council, the president of the county council, President of the Indianapolis Chamber of Commerce, uh, the Marion County Republican Chairman, uh, and then three legislators uh, Representative Eugene Ned Lampkin, uh, Larry Borst, who at that time was a House member, later to be a Senate member, and myself. Now, this group of individuals were too young, too naive, and too inexperienced to realize that we couldn't get it done. You're supposed to laugh. <laughs> now, the, the point that I, I will make here is that I have never been with a, more group, a group of more idealistic people than I associated myself with during that time period. We wanted to do something for our city. And we saw our city floundering at that moment in the history. Uh, things that were said about it, it was India no place, a cornfield with lights. John Gunther said in his famous book that it was a place people go through on the way to someplace else. Uh, and Kurt Vonnegut allegedly said that in Indianapolis, 
The people of the city watch a race one day a year and sleep the other 364. Kurt apparently said later he didn't really say that. I really don't know. It doesn't make any difference. It was an apt appraisal of what was going on in our city. Uh, we had a deteriorating downtown, uh, two hotels, only one restaurant of merit. Uh, not very much going on except for state government and county and city government. And so our goal when we were elected to the legislature was to make things better. We wanted to do something. Now, I would have to go back in time to tell you that uh, it was mentioned in Eunice's remarks about the RAC, Republican Action Committee. This was the first step and can't be left out of the narrative because what was accomplished was, in fact, we took over the leadership of the Republican Party in Marion County. Uh, it had formerly been operated by a good old boy named Dale Brown, who found it a way to earn a living, but not nearly as interested in electing the candidates of the party. So it is against that background that uh, we came together at the home of John and Ardeth Burkhardt. Now, we didn't go there to talk about unity. We came there to talk about a new university, a state university of Indianapolis. And we had bills prepared and went through all of the hoops that were necessary to do that, except that IU at Bloomington and Purdue at Lafayette were not about to see it happen. And, and so that was one of our goals that was not realized, although the outcome was the merger of IU and Purdue in what's now IUPUI. Some people still call it Uwe Pui, but the fact of the matter is that it is an imposing institution, some 32,000 students. So this is the background against which we hoped to change things. And it's often, I guess, been said that if you want to change things, you need two things. One are ideas, and the second is relationships. And maybe that's the only combination that's really ever has changed things in our world. But we had those things because of the preparation leading up to the election before UNIGOV. Uh, so we had the relationships and the ideas were forthcoming at the Burkhardt home. That's my comment for that. All right. Uh, if anyone's going to get your thoughts uh, on UNIGOV as a whole, obviously I have a little bit of a different perspective on things. Yes, ma'am. Get your mic. It, it was on. It should be on. I never felt I was naive 
As I grew up in the state of Texas and in a family that fought for voting rights in the 30s, the 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s. So I knew a lot about political organization and political power. In my opinion, the passage of Unigov violated one of the most important principles of democracy and governance is the consent of the governed. The governed in Indianapolis never had a chance to vote on what was contained in the bill that uh, the Lieutenant Governor has described. And I think the process by which he describes it really helps us understand how the good old boys were really in charge. When he mentioned taking meetings taking place in people's homes, because one of the issues in governance which came forth after that period was the open meeting laws. So by having all of these meetings in homes and in secret places, it meant that people who were not on the team, who had opinions, and most of all were going to be impacted by it, were not at the table at the time. But in that year, that was not the norm. We hadn't talked about the DNI, the diversity and inclusion anymore at all at that point. That the small private meetings were the norm for the passage of very important things which affected the whole population. So I based my response on that first principle of governance, the consent of the government, that nobody in Indianapolis was allowed to vote on whether or not we wanted to change the form of governance that we had. That is not to say we thought it was good or the best we could do. It's just that we were denied the opportunity to participate in it. At the same time that they were not consulting with the citizens of Indianapolis, they gave an important carrot to those exempted cities, like Lawrence Speedway Beach Road. They were allowed to cast the vote for the mayor of Indianapolis while keeping their autonomy and local government intact. They voted for their mayor as well as cast the vote for the citizen for the vote in Indianapolis. So when we look at it as a democratic or fostering democracy, it did not foster democracy in this community. And we might say, theoretically, that it was not intended to dilute the vote of the African-American population. But I want to bring your attention to something that happened the year before, in 1968. 
Richard Hatcher was elected mayor of Gary. So what do you think the conversation was about? Many of the people I talked to, could Indianapolis elect a black man like Gary? And of course, Carl Stokes was also elected in Cleveland in that same year. So to say that the black vote was not a part of the conversation would indeed be a, a fallacy because what happened in Gary and in Cleveland was on the minds of people all over the country. I see we have the microphone to Ned Lampkin. That would be great because uh, Mr. Lampkin, I got the next question for you. Have you got a mic? Does your it, it should work. Just don't switch anything. Don't. It, it's all, all of them should be on. Yep, there you go. So what about, uh, like I said, uh, your thoughts on your note as a whole, but what about uh, what Faye just said about uh, this was done without the consent of the governor, and folks kind of looked around and saw uh, the, the complexions of mayor's office is changing, and this is sort of an unintended consequence that Indianapolis wouldn't have a black mayor, at least not for a while anyway. This is a large subject, um, and that's one of the reasons that John and I put together the handout, which is on your seats. We addressed, I think, most of the issues that we discussed today, and I hope you'll look at that. Uh, Faye and I were friends. We actually went on panels together as far away as Cleveland. Uh, but I, I have to take some exception with some to, to talk about the good old boys. We were not the good old boys. We kicked the good old boys on their tails. Uh, the good old boys were in politics in both parties prior to that time, and they they did so not by governing, but making sure they got all the money from their state employees and their local employees that went to the county. Two percent went to the county. That was part of the patronage deal. And all of the license branches they ran got money that sent back to the parties. Uh, that's the kind of good old boy network that we walked into. And John Burkhardt and others uh, gathered together to say, we can do better. We can create a government that works for this community. Now, that's, that's comment one. Comment two is uh, you can't change a government structure without going to the legislature. We were at a point in time when you could go to the legislature because we had sufficient numbers of votes to go there. So if we were going to change government, we had to do it through the legislative process. That in and of itself is a political process. You can't describe it any other way. It wasn't nearly as political then as it is today, but nevertheless it was a political process. So we needed to find a way to create something that could make, it, make its way through the political process. Politics and the political process are the art of compromise. You can't accomplish anything unless you're willing to listen to the problems and try to address them and accept whatever you can get rather than what you necessarily might want to have. And that was the reality that we had, had to live with. Uh, so we didn't do everything we would have liked because we couldn't do everything we would have liked. But we thought it was our responsibility to do what we could do, and that's what we did. I, I, I need to point out on the issue of the referendum, the United States 
Constitution was never passed and been put to a referendum. The concept of representative government is not that everybody gets to vote on everything, but everybody gets to vote on the people who are going to make the decisions, and they are there to represent their constituencies, which we tried like mad to do. Uh, Evan Burke, I think, I think I have an Evan Burke quote in your handout, said that a representative owes his constituents his judgment, and he betrays them if he gives in to theirs instead. Uh, the fact was there were all kinds of reasons why we could not have passed this had we put it to a general vote. But what we did, I think, was better for the city and better for the county, and opened doors for more opportunity to change things going forward than were there prior to that time. Second thing is that I, I think it's risky to look back too hard. Um, I'm aware of the quote that says, if you don't know history, you're bound to repeat it. I know the one that says, history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. All of that's true. But on the other hand, things change through history as well. Uh, Unica was 53 years ago. It occurs to me that 53 years leading up to Unigov, we had the First World War, we had the Roaring Twenties, we had the Great Depression, we had the Second World War, we had the Recovery Period, we had the Korean War, we had Civil Rights Movement, and we were in the middle of the Vietnam War. That's a very different climate than existed in 1916. And the climate in 2022 is a very different climate that existed in 1969. The issue is not, what did we do wrong or what do we wish we could have done better? The issue is, what are the issues today and how do we deal with them? And that's what you ought to hold your elected representatives to. Look at what's out there, look at the problems, and God knows there are problems. There are real issues today. Let's, let's use the tools and the understandings and the wisdom we have today to solve the problems of today. Thanks, sir. Uh, Mr. I want to ask you, uh, you are an IPS school teacher. Uh, what was the conversation amongst teachers, educators about the whole Unigov sort of back and forth? Thank you very much. First of all, I think what a pleasure it is to be young. Thank you for the invitation. I'm going to start out with saying I read somewhere in my readings that Unica is another chapter in American history of expansion. Social equity be damned. Repeat that. Unica is another chapter in American history of expansion. Social equity be damned. And that's not to say that there are not a lot of good things in Unica, but there are a lot of things that were not included in Unica, which in my experience should have been. What were teachers' thoughts back then? I was a newcomer to Indianapolis in the 60s. And as Faye has already stated, the initial uh, information sessions on Unigov were held in private. In the private homes, we knew nothing about it. Our first knowledge of it became when they, in 1967. Now my 
concern about nuclear stems from what happened with not including the Indianapolis public schools in the merger. We know that this was not taken to the people. It went directly to the legislature. And one of the reasons I'm told that went straight to the legislature was because they knew that they could get by the legislature not including the school systems. Had they gone with a referendum, that question would have been raised. So now we have a unigovernment system that includes, does not include Indianapolis executive school system and 11 other all-white school systems. What has this impact been on the city of Indianapolis and Unigod. I have a series of dates of things that have happened through the years. Like in 1968, the African-Americans filed with the U.S. Justice Department to file suit against IPS charging unconstitutional segregation. And in 1970, Unigod became law with these schools excluded. In 1971, Judge Dillon ruled that state intentionally discriminated against black students by extending the city government to the county line. This further cemented segregation and disparities. So when I said that Indianapolis Public School troubles today can be traced directly and indirectly to Unigod. And what I mean by indirectly is that so many forces that, that impacted IPS negatively came out of the state legislature. The state legislature then, as it is to now, composed of from Indianapolis and known other areas, largely Republican control. They made the decisions. So to me, that overriding decision to leave out the schools is something that I think we can correct. But do we have the courage and the goodwill intent to do so? I hope. This podcast was produced and edited by Chris Spangle and Leaders and Legends, LLC. If you're interested in starting a podcast or taking yours to the next level, please contact us at leadersandlegends.net.